Hello and thank you for joining us for the first episode of Making Waves. My name's Zoe Mutter and I'm editor of AV Magazine. The team has been talking about launching a podcast for a while now and with much of the world currently in lockdown and the AV industry looking for different ways to stay informed and in touch with the community, we thought now was the right time to take the plunge. Each episode will be themed featuring a mixture of news analysis, interviews with the talented and intelligent characters in the AV community, and highlights from insightful panel discussions and presentations. It will come as a little surprise that the theme of today's episode is COVID-19. Coming up later in the show, we bring you highlights from a recent discussion on what AV might look like after COVID-19, hosted by AV Magazine's Clive Coldwell, as part of AV Nation's Learn From Home Virtual Summit, but first, I chat to Chris McIntyre-Brown, Associate Director at FutureSource Consulting, about the impact COVID-19 is having on a multitude of areas, from video conferencing and video content production, through to installation verticals, touring and rental. Um, hi Chris, thanks for joining us today and being our very first guest on the podcast. So how's life in lockdown been treating you so far? Yeah, it's been good. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, challenging time for everyone, I think. And, um, you know, been uh, as part of what we do at, Re- at Future Source, um, you know, the, the COVID situation has been one where we've been interviewing far and wide across uh, our client base and, and trying to sort of take the pulse of what's been what's been happening to the pro AV industry and all the areas that we look at and beyond, of course, Future Source looks at many other areas beyond that. So, um yeah, it's a it's a, a challenging time would be an understatement, I think, but um, yeah, an interesting time for everyone and to see how the how the industry reacts and and kind of what comes out the back of that. Yeah, these certainly are unusual times. Um, so you've been carrying out some excellent research as always, um, and your recent studies have focused on the impact of COVID nineteen and how it's affecting various sectors of the AV industry. Mm. So today, I'd like to take a look at some of those research findings and discuss what this might indicate for the AV community's future. So if we could just start with um, what impact COVID-19 has been having on the pro-AV world so far. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's interesting if you sort of look back at the, you know, the chronology of all of this and certainly the way that we've been talking about um, the changes and the impacts on the industry. And I, I suppose first up, just how fast things happened um, in kind of February, March time, I think caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, and it's interesting when you think about the way that, you know, that we were starting to look at things and, you know, we're in a, a, a unique position at Future Source that um, the entire supply chain works with us. And so everyone, you know, we hear what people want to ask, you know, at the right times. And the initial, I think, concern was really around um, the upstream you know, supply chains, what was happening at a component level and an assembly level. Um, and, you know, we focused very much on that. And uh, you know, there's there's been increasingly a reliance on contract partners i think when we, when, you know, we think about pro av hardware um and so i think that exposed some over reliance perhaps on that contract model um we're also then looking at logistics and how product was going to be moved around and just in time and all those kind of things and and, and actually what's interesting now as you look back at that and realize that was relatively short-lived the impact it was interesting that it came around the time of of Chinese New Year, so there was a little bit of stockpiling going on anyway there. And if you look at what was happening in the US with the tariff wars and in the UK with, um, you know, with Brexit and you know, all of those type of things, actually, I think the industry had got itself into a pretty good position to to, to cope um, inadvertently for what was coming. 
So there is still some some hangover from that in terms of uh, component supply in some areas, but generally the supply side has, has kind of picked itself up. I think if you look downstream of that, then and you start looking at the brands and the manufacturers in the industry, um, you know, that's going to be very, very difficult. And I suppose one thing I would just like to say is I've been in this space for now 15 years and there are a lot of good people and businesses suffering through this. So what I'm what I'm going to talk about is, is not meant to be cold or dispassionate um, in any way. It's just obviously a kind of a, a, a commentary point on, on, on the industry. But you know, to a point, I think what what we are seeing here or what we will see um, is kind of a natural shakeout of 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 companies that were perhaps um, or the financials were perhaps struggling anyway and were tight before the crisis. Um, we're already starting to see some of those companies failing um, at, a, at a sort of manufacturer brand level, um, which is actually a crying shame. Some really good people there obviously struggling along with it. Um, and we look at that across the, you know, the entire portfolio of Pro-AV, we can point to examples of that. So that's that's been very difficult. Um, I think as we come downstream of that, then we start looking at the channel. Um, again, even more so, uh, I think, highlighted there, um, where we will see many companies coming under pressure um, and failing again. I think also when we start looking at that space, it depends what those companies are you know, invested in and what areas they're looking at. Margins in the hardware space for ProAV have been challenged for a long, long time. Um, and service and support and maintenance contracts have been a big part of that. And, and as COVID has really taken, taken grip, I think, again, a lot of pressure is going to be put on those, those revenue streams for those businesses. So there's you know, some real challenges there for the channel too. And then when we come to an end user point of view, you know, one of the things that we've looked at, obviously, at FutureSource, and we try to look at the, the, the forecasting side of this is to look back at other financial crises. And we think about you know, the global financial crash in, in, in 07, the dot-com bubble in 2000. Um, and we can track all of this. You know, we've been working in this market for a long, long time and you can see the reaction. Um, and the, 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 the unique situation we're in now, of course, is that this is impacting almost every country and almost every vertical. And it's actually pretty challenging to find any areas that are doing well. There are some bright spots, which I think we'll come on and talk about in a little bit. Um, but we think about transport and airlines, we think about out of home, we think about entertainment, leisure, pleasure, um, retail, of course, you know, if not already was was rapidly becoming the, the, the single biggest vertical for, for pro AV. Um, and what was interesting in that space is we're moving from kind of transactional to experiential. So it's a real bright spot for AV and for all of AV, truly AV, kind of the visual and the audio side of things. Um, and of course, now that has really ground to a halt as well. And there's a lot of pressure, extreme pressure coming on many, many retailers in that space. So, um, you know, very, very tough times ahead there. But as I say, there are some bright spots. Um, we've got control room, we've got collaboration, esports, home studios. There's a there's actually some interesting things coming up there. And um, your, your research is focused on um, changing attitude, attitudes to video conferencing as well. Um, what, what have the, the findings been in that area? And how are people adjusting to using it for work, learning, socialising? Yeah, I mean, huge, right? So, so I, you know, I, I, again, for anyone that visits Infocom, ISC, we've been seeing this for a few years. And the focus on conferencing and collaboration um, has been very, very clear. If you, you, know, you walk around those show floors or, or anyone in the pro-AV industry now, pretty much everyone is, is looking to build a business in some way or another around that. I think we look at it in, in, in sort of three ways, the, the, the VC market. The first is what's happening at home with what we're all doing now. Um, now we talk a lot about this kind of first click challenge uh, where 
uh, there has been uh, a natural resistance to conferencing and to UC platform, remote working, home working, just naturally because people don't understand it. You know, what we're in now is a situation where people have had to try and understand that. And that's not just the workforce, as you point out, this is you know, um, anyone outside of that, people at home, um, trying to take that, that sort of first click challenge and realizing actually it's, it's, it's very, very easy. Um, I think what it has done is exposed the quality of, of some different uh, conferencing platforms um, and, and the stability of those. And there's been a lot of issues and things quite publicly in the press around that. Um, but it, it, it opens up um, a, you know, such a bigger usage base, I suppose, or user base for that. So we look at that in the home and we talk about remote working and how many people are remote working. And we study that. We, we have regular surveys which look at that every year. Um, and it's kind of interesting to look at some of those stats where we look at you know, it was already on the rise. So sort of kind of pre-COVID. So we were looking at sort of 65% of the workforce already working occasionally from home, 10% of those working three or more days a week before COVID. Um, I think we'll see that increase, obviously, naturally. I can't see us you know, returning to the same working practices we had before. So then you start to think about the kit that's being used in 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 home offices, and and we will start to see more professional grade kit going. And at the moment, it's really focused around peripheral technologies like speakerphones and headsets and cameras, etc. Um, we'll start to see, I think, some some entry level pro grade uh, kit coming down into that into the home office. Um, but more generally, of course, we're going to see more remote working happening. Uh, I think interestingly, then what happens in the office, you know, we will see, and we already were seeing more and more rooms being. Uh, conferencing enabled and that wasn't just the reserve of the large meeting rooms anymore that was coming into mid-size and small meeting rooms and again we you know we've been tracking that for a long long time so we'll see that accelerate and we will see more room enabled um, uh, video conferencing rooms coming up now um, the interesting thing there is is what type of device will be in there you know we now look at the conferencing market as a kind of room-based meetings versus bring your own meeting. So bring your own PC in and connect that, connect that to a peripheral device. And I think we'll see a lot of that room-based, or, or sorry, uh, bring your own meeting uh, space um, driving uh, the market, uh, certainly across 2021. And then the other final piece to all of this then is just general usage at home. You know, we see all of us socializing, as you say, um, through various different platforms now. You know, there is a, there is a school of thought. And we've kind of seen this before from the consumer electronics industry about integrating cameras or, or, or trying to think about how we bring video conferencing type experiences into the into the living room um, we can quite clearly see that, that that covid is going to accelerate some of that as well so lots and lots going on a real real bright spot for the industry but again just one of those things that's going to accelerate a trend which was which was already there and already happening what about um remote learning as well how have you seen the ed tech sector to be coping and what do you think um, lies ahead for remote learning I mean, absolutely fascinating, right? Uh, you know, obviously, we've seen schools close across many, many countries. Um, you know, I think what it's done, in a sense, is it's again, it's accelerated what was probably already going to start happening. Um, you know, we've seen deployments in schools that would normally take months happening in weeks. Um, you know, I think there's question marks over the success of that. Uh, you know, it might, it might end up. Um, discouraging some schools when they look back at it you know, there's clearly an education and knowledge gap um, to uh, you know to fill there but there is a disparity between schools that are invested in digital based learning platforms and those that didn't um, and I think that's going to be even more accentuated obviously through this through this period um, 
it does bear the same hallmarks and the same similarities as what we're seeing with, with, with remote working. But I think in education, we talk a lot about equity, you know, inclusiveness for everyone. And I don't think necessarily that is happening right now. You know, it's not it's not uncommon to hear of households which only have one compute device or, or, or device capable of, of of remote learning. And that's being shared through the household. And I think if you look in the US, for example, um, and we have incredibly high levels of, of, of households which don't even have basic broadband penetration. So equity is a really big point in, in education. Um, but if we take the equity point out, absolutely, I think it's going to it's going to stimulate more usage of digital platforms. And a lot depends on the grading, you know, and, and what years we're talking about. In primary, I think there is much more of a need. And it's interesting when you think about how the government is talking about bringing schools um, uh, and the education system back. And a lot of focus is on kind of primary absolutely coming back. Um, but in secondary education or secondary schools, um, you know, it is it is easier for, for, for children to learn remotely. But but generally, I think what we'll see is it will force the teaching community, those that are perhaps behind the curve in terms of digital teaching and, and, and using digital platforms, the same kind of first click challenge again, we'll see um, more of the teaching community understanding and learning how these platforms work. And that's not disparaging for anyone out there, but there are still a good proportion which are still kind of front of classroom paper-based resource um, and we'll see them start to uh, understand what those digital platforms can do and, and how we deliver it. My, my personal view is I don't think it will change a huge amount in terms of the way that the school system works, um, but perhaps in the way that, that, um, that some of those digital resources are deployed as part of, um, as part of the learning experience, I think will, you know, will be a big part of it. I think it'll have more of an impact in like higher ed and universities. They'll take more of their lectures into the virtual realm do you think that yes and no i don't think necessarily more so at that i mean that's already been happening you know if we look at the growth in lecture capture um and and the focus of the industry and in, you know in lecture capture and how universities um are you know are already or have already been trying to push in that direction i think i, I don't think covid has forced anything different um i think it's just an accelerant you know for, for 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 what was already happening there but absolutely i mean you know higher education is is one if you talk across the community and, and if we go outside pro av and we start to talk to you know pcoems as well you know it's a key key focus um you know for a lot of the industry in in, in how we deliver remote learning solutions and I think lecture capture um, and the platforms that surround that are hugely important um, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's going to change anything I think it's just going to it's going to speed that up I think what's interesting is that we weren't seeing really any of that we were but 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 very very limited amount of of, of that kind of remote learning mentality in in, in K through 12 um, it, it really didn't kind of exist um, or certainly not on any sort of scale. I think that will be where we see the biggest changes as we come out of this period. And one sector that has suffered the most is live events, touring and rental. Can you share any other insight in this area? Yeah, I, I mean, hey, look, it's, it, it's tough. It's tough to think of a vertical that's that's had a bigger impact. I mean, there are some out there, right? But yeah, you know, the, the world ground to a halt, didn't it? Um, you know, the cancellation of all those events has, has had a huge impact on production companies, rental houses and freelancers. And, you know, we speak across that entire group um, and to that entire group. Um, it's going to be incredibly challenging. You know, the, the, the companies that we've been talking with and we're talking to, you know, I've spoken to a good proportion now 
um, most of them looking at certainly the end of this year completely locked down. I mean, you know, we've heard the term mothball used a few times, um, you know, those businesses because there really is absolutely no demand and it's quite frightening, you know, the amount of um, revenue that is being wiped off in, you know, just through this, just through this period. So it's, it's, it's a pretty desperate time. Um, Some are diversifying into like virtual events, aren't they? And I've heard in Spain, I think they're going to have a phased process where it opens at just a third of the capacity for certain types of venues but I wonder yeah. if that will be yeah I think catered across the world absolutely and I think we can ex I think we can expect I mean there's a couple of things right and actually you know one thing I meant to say up front which I, which I didn't is is what's the bright spot of all of this I think we will see a lot of creativity and a lot of innovation be driven you know through this process um, and, and the whole virtual events market um, and virtual show market, I think, is a great example of that. And, and with you as well, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've we've heard people talk about this for a long time in the past, but actually you know, there's been nothing to force the hand. And I, I think now that will absolutely um, be pushed forward. I think we will see smaller events you know, without question. Um, it really it, it really comes down to how governments decide that they want to. Um, you know, open up that side of the market in public um, public gatherings. But yes, I think we'll see smaller events. I suppose I'm coming at it more from, you know, what are those rental companies and production companies? What does their business look like when they come through this? And do they have the cash flows to continue operating? Um, I think what we can see right now is that those that have a bit more of a diversified business, um, they're not just in the rental market, for example, or they can look at other areas of production, then, then, then perhaps they are, um, well, not perhaps they are in a better place to get through this. I think when we do come through it, we will see um, those companies which are still with us uh, sweating their assets, absolutely sitting on those and, and, and trying to make them last for, for far, far longer. I think one of the interesting things that we've seen um, is, uh, is, is some relief funds to, sort of to, to support the creative community. Um, so, for example, Netflix and Warner Media and Sony have been um, have been putting money into those, along with some government support, which uh, you know is an encouraging is is an encouraging thing for those companies to be doing. Um, but absolutely, I think when we return, we'll see more community based sort of smaller events happening. Um, and there's one school of thought, of course, that 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 we'll see a a huge amount of pent up demand and sort of latent demand, and we will see those markets bounce straight back. But um, I think everything that I can see and all the conversations that we have you know, indicate that it will be very, very slow. Um, and 2021 will be a, you know, a pretty difficult year as well. Well, one area that they are already diversifying into is um, content creation and, and production, not just events, like obviously with the One World concert, that was something completely new. Do you think people will be going down that route a lot more moving forward? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think... I. I think that event was, was was fascinating. Actually, we ended up writing a blog on that. Um, uh, just looking at the sort of types of kit that were being used, we were getting a lot of requests about that. And sort of going slightly off point on your question, but but you know the the studio market, the home studio market, um, is something that we've been looking at as a company for sort of three or four years now. As in as in deliberately producing reports and looking at that space, and it's absolutely fascinating and and growing incredibly quickly. And it's interesting. It's one of the perceptions around that market as being. It's a kind of it's a it's a musician space um, when absolutely that's not true. When you think about, um, you know, the amount of podcasting and blogging and vlogging going on and, and esports, which I think maybe we'll talk about in a second. Um, 
you know, there's there's a huge amount of action going on there, and and there's a lot of brands trying to build a business in that in in, in that space. So the One World piece was kind of interesting because. You know, we look at that and the power of celebrity and what they can do as a kind of brand endorsement and and it's it's kind of fascinating to see who was using what kit um but yeah beyond that uh, i i think there's an acceptance kind of among broadcasters of uh, of lower quality audio and video feeds um provided by the talent that's that, that's kind of working from home at the moment right um and many production companies have kind of embraced these these limitations and either sort of spun out at home formats of of popular shows or, or kind of acknowledge the reality of, of lo-fi production values. I got news for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and and there you go. There's the kind of innovation in, you know, in all of this, um, where where we you know we've we've adapted, we've moved on, and we've kind of made things work. Um, I think in terms of the content consumed, there's you know the OTT guys have been have been benefiting from this and binge watching bot sets and all that kind of thing and and, and I guess you know the the nostalgic appeal of of re-releasing catalogs shows on demand um has been has been interesting to watch um I think for me the biggest thing has been that kind of community feel right um and you know we're seeing a lot of user generated content and feel good sort of viral video clips and that type of thing on social media which has been really really interesting to watch and 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 to try and understand what equipment is being used behind you know behind that um but there's a yeah there's a lot happening in that space yeah and you mentioned esports earlier so you've seen an up an increase in in that area of interest in that area have you well, you know what? It's been one of those areas uh, where so, so we actually produced our first report looking at that last year, um, and you know, even for our analyst teams, and it spans our entire company. We have a, a, an entertainment um, uh, group in 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 Future Source. We have a consumer electronics group, and we have a B two B B two B electronics group, and you know, that report spanned the entire company, and it was fascinating to to try and kind of get behind just the money being spent in that space. Um, and I don't think anybody quite realised that. And as we produced that report and started talking to our pro AV clients, it's, it, it, it's jaw-dropping. You know, we're breaking the $1 billion mark um, and we're seeing that almost doubling by 2023. So it's already a space which is, uh, it's not it's not a best kept secret. I think now we talk about it almost every day. But but go back to last year and 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 the amount of companies and, and businesses which weren't aware of the opportunities and what was happening in that was really really interesting. But yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those it's one of those spaces which which has been more manageable with the constraints of social distancing. Um, it kind of lends itself to that to that space. A lot of the leagues until you get really to the final stages where we see the big productions, um, the big physical productions happening. You know, they're they're all done from 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 people's homes. All you need is a is a gaming console and internet connection, and and kind of you're away. Um, I think the the production side has been challenging. Um, you know, for the crew to transition to a remote work to a a, a remote workflow. Um, but the majority of the video coverage in esports is kind of already virtualized, right? It's it's screen capture, so that offers a you know, another advantage. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know that is only going to to grow that space for me, it's really interesting. If you went to bet you know, one of the one of one of the shows before all this hit, um, the amount of focus on esports uh, was was pretty incredible. Um, I just think obviously we've got to wait for that you know, the the big production of physical events to 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 come back, um, which I think will be will be some way away again. Yeah, which do you see the are the main areas that will recover quickest or be the strongest coming out of this? Overall, I mean. W- we keep on talking about it, right? I think I think the collaboration space for us is just absolutely fascinating. 
um, you know, uh, that for me is the one right now. Right now, it's really a kind of software platform play and, and, and a peripheral device play. I think as we start to return to work, um, we will see an already rapidly growing uh, market absolutely explode. You know, video everywhere. It's it's difficult to see how we how we are going to move away from these platforms and the way that we communicate on a daily basis. I mean, I'm a great example. I I, I would really turn my camera on um, for 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 a conference call, and now I can't imagine not having that on. Um, and everyone I talk to feels exactly the same. So I think I think the collaboration space generally is the one that has most people talking and excited. And it's interesting as well that across the entire pro AV space, and we, you know, we literally work across everything, um, companies which are in struggling areas are, are looking to sort of pivot, pivot their businesses. And um, almost everybody is, is, is asking about collaboration, video conferencing, what does that market look like? How can we get into it? Um, so you know, for me, that feels like the biggest success story um, you know, beyond that, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, control rooms interesting, esports is interesting, the, the studio market, the home studio market's interesting. Um, more generally, I think it's going to take quite some time for all of this to recover. Um, and anywhere around those kind of leisure, pleasure, entertainment-based verticals, I, I think will be the ones which take the longest um, to come back. And what will your next um, reports focus on? Do you have any that we can look out for coming up? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah, from our side, production hasn't stopped at all. Um, so there's a couple of things, I suppose, first and foremost. We, uh, uh, across the, the entire B2B team, um, we've produced a, a series of, of blogs around the COVID situation, um, which can be uh, accessed from our website. And if you don't mind me quickly, shamelessly doing this, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll right. give you the link. Um so that's www.futuresource-consulting.com forward slash B2B forward slash tech forward slash COVID forward slash impact. <laughs> nice and catchy. Um, yeah, um, but, but, but that's, that's, that's really interesting. If, if anyone wants to look at our thoughts on broadcast, audio, video, uh, collaboration, uh, education, um, there's, there's about 16 or 17 blogs up there. Um, so please come and take a look at that. Um, and that's free for anyone to come and come and come and access. Um, beyond that, then we're very, very fortunate, I suppose, in a sense, with the timing where we've just recently released a, a, a big annual corporate end user enterprise um, end user study. So looking at everything from uh, smart building managed services through to meeting room usage of tech and budgeting and all that kind of stuff. Um, another report coming on video conferencing and wireless presentation solutions. So all really around you know, the collaboration space. Um, and then going forward, we've got various audio reports uh, which are coming through soon. AV managed services, which is another really interesting area for for the for the pro AV space and something we're not really touched on because this is a COVID uh, conversation and, and that will have an impact on this space. Um, but I think, you know, the managed service piece uh, is, is starting to really become uh, a conversation. And if we look at what happened with IT managed services kind of 10 years ago, I think we're really at the, at the start of seeing more of that in AV. And as we see more um, devices being visible on the network, um, it, it, it kind of really changes the, the entire pro AV industry actually. So that's, that's kind of a future direction um, for us. Yeah, well, it'd be great to hear more about all of those areas. Mm. Thank you for chatting to me today. It's been really no, interesting and insightful. 
and no. speak to you again soon. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye bye. And that was the fabulous Chris McIntyre-Brown from Future Source. Insightful as always. Next up, AV Magazine's Clive Coldwell is joined by a fine lineup of experts to discuss what the AV world could look like post-pandemic. Hello, I'm Clive Coldwell. As part of AV Nation's recent virtual event, its two-day Learn From Home conference, I moderated a fascinating session It looked at how AV businesses were coping with the lockdown and how they were planning a way out of it. Our experts of the coalface included the fabulous Brock McGuinness from Avitas, the celebrated Mr Danny Rogers from AVISBL, the wise Jeremy L. Sessa from Level 3 Audiovisual and the one and only Mr Kevin Murphy from Kraftwerk Living Technologies. It was a pretty lively discussion despite some broadband challenges. Enjoy. Okay, it's very nice. Well, thank you for that introduction, done so professionally, of course. Um, yes, well, I mean, we can start on a variety of points, can't we, really? But um, how are businesses, in your view, dealing with where we are at the moment? I mean, who's at the sharp end can see? It's very difficult to generalise, isn't it? Um, I mean, Danny, you started off talking before about, you know, AV being proved to be an essential service. Um, what... How are companies, very difficult to get an overall view, but how are companies coping out there? Um, we can talk about the US and the UK, but are we, are we getting any sort of clear picture whether it's just a temporary blip or, you know, clearly events market's doing very badly uh, for obvious reasons, but are we okay with things? Are we are we surviving? Are we just re-establishing, re- re-moving things around to survive in the short term? Uh, any good, sort of views? It's a really good question, Clive, and and... and Audiovisual has been deemed and classed by by governments, um, both in the US and the UK, as an essential service. And when you think about that, people will ordinarily say, well, why is AV an essential service? Well, it's essential not just for our wonderful uh, health services, respectfully, around the globe, but also for the fact that, um, you know, almost everybody other than frontline workers are now working remotely. So therefore, the ability to uh, collaborate and connect both inside their businesses, their customers, their families. This is twofold. It goes up, down from uh, uh, from commerce and then into their private life. So the fact that we are providing, and I talk about we, I'm talking about the audiovisual industry, providing those services uh, to frontline customers and, and, you know, globally, I think is absolutely essential. But, um, you know, the other key question, I think, really to support that is how are things coping and how are they delivering? You know, one of the questions is really about, you know, what's happened to day-to-day operations? Because the question is, you know, how are global providers like ourselves and like many of the others on here, we're we're not actually seeing a lot of what I'd consider to be postponed or cancelled orders. We're actually seeing a lot of interest in terms of, um, you know, the opportunity to be able to provide more and more remote management, remote services to ensure all those facilities are kept up and running and this is really important you can almost class now and this is con- controversial but i will say it you can almost class now what we do in the audio visual world as um almost the same as you would class your utilities e.g your your water your power audio visual now and your and your broadband is critical because of the way we collaborate and way we communicate that that is now a protected service um you know well it's, 
it's funny to say that we're, we're just working on a feature on AV Magazine at the moment asking executives whether their internal uh, corporate staff um, realize the value of AV, and it's split down the middle. Um, it really is split down the middle, which surprised me somewhat. I thought it would be too extreme, but it isn't. I think, you know, it depends what applications you're running and, and how enlightened the business is, really, and what sort of work you're doing. If you're in 24-hour support, then clearly there's a constant need. If you're doing project-based work, presumably the, the situation is very different. What do you think, Jeremy? I was going to say, as I was listening to both of you, that I feel that the lines have blurred. Um, and although that 50% or half feeling one way versus the other might be just maybe a bit of a lack of general understanding or an overgeneralization, right? I mean, think about the amount of people that have been leveraging the video platforms, which quite frankly is the V in our industry. And that's being delivered via IT-based hardware models that don't necessarily click with someone that, oh, these are also the AV industry professionals that are helping us take this experience into our meeting rooms, right? We as AV are just completely reliant on IT. And I believe that now IT is completely reliant on AV. And, and whether or not there's a clear understanding of it, I think we've hit a absolute spotlight in the mainstream. Um, just with the this morning, I think the the announcement of Verizon purchasing blue jeans, you know, that's going to start to bring products that we know and love and have used for many, many years, but uh, the mainstream public don't necessarily recognize those names because it's just part of a service offering. So um, I think we're going to experience a, a tremendous amount of visibility. And that, that comment that Dan made about being essential is, is really relevant here because we've always been fighting in the AV industry to be considered along with the other trades that are essential building trades. And I think with the need to work from home and business continuity, AV is now a, a key part of business continuity. We can't continue to do business without not only having the internet and our computers, but the ability to connect via audio and video moving forward. Yeah, you find that, don't you? It's only if you have a crisis or a major change in what you're doing, which actually puts a spotlight on the services you're, you're relying upon as essential services. Do you realize how important they are? And it's, it's something like this has to happen to realize the value of what you're doing and how your business relies upon it. Kevin, um, you've got a, a, new, unique, a unique ability, really, because you're looking at Europe as well as the UK, but primarily Europe, aren't you? Basically based in Germany. What's the general feeling over there? Uh, yes and no, Kyle. I have to correct you slightly. Uh, Kraftwerk is based in Austria, which hasn't become part of Germany yet. Oh, silly um, old Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm based in the UK, but our, our business is very, very international. We have a small team in Shanghai. We have an office in um, South Africa. And at the moment, currently, we have sites operating in diverse places from Dubai. We're working at Dubai Expo. We're working on a couple of projects in North America. We're working in China and in Europe. Um, and I suppose to put it into perspective for everybody, I'm slightly to one side of the conversation at the moment because um, I work or we work in an industry that relies very heavily on audiovisual. It's been essential in our business since about the mid 70s. And that's um, theme parks, museums, science centers, and entertainment and it's fixed installations so we don't do temporary shows we don't do live entertainment most of our installations are fixed and fairly large installations as well 
The other side of our business, about 25 to 30 percent of our business is automotive. And automotive was already suffering some major problems in Europe before we went into this crisis. So in some respects, I should be out of a job at this particular moment. But we were talking earlier and I think, you know, me and many of my colleagues have never been busier in many respects. We have new inquiries coming in from China and that's quite interesting. We only have a small team in China. We tend to send a lot of our guys out from Europe. But we're managing without the travel and we're, remote, we're remotely programming and we're remotely working on sites. But the inquiry level is increasing. There are inquiries coming from the Middle East and there are still inquiries coming in from Europe. But there's no doubt that the business is going to take a major downturn because if we're working, let's say, in major theme parks, they're all shut. Most of them around the world are shut. That means one thing. They're not getting revenue. If they're not getting revenue, they're not going to be spending in the near future. So what we have seen is the immediate inquiries on projects has stopped very rapidly. So um, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult situation for us and slightly different from some of my colleagues. Rob, what do you think? Um, I, I tend to, uh, to kind of straddle the line between, uh, between Kevin and Daniel. Um, unified communications, uh, and the need for that uh, within our business community is going to skyrocket. And I think that, uh, I think for the first time, uh, CEOs and, and other check writers are going to realize how inadequate their infrastructure is. So, uh, you know, one of the things that everybody has learned over the last month is how to communicate by video from home. If they didn't know how to do that before, everybody knows how to do that now. And it's not just FaceTime with grandma. What they're struggling the most with, though, is how to collaborate effectively at home. And this is where we have an opportunity as an industry to show people the way. Um, if we focus on only the, the video communication tools, uh, we're going to be competing with... Uh, a whole bunch of, of uh, players that we can't control. If we focus on outcomes, if we're focused on what work does and what our objective is, uh, and to be able to actually accomplish things when two of you or three of you are in the UK and uh, Jeremy's in Mesa, um, I'm in Toronto and we need to come to a decision or we need to fix a problem. And we can't do that just being Hollywood squares talking heads uh, on, uh, on a video screen. We need some other tools. Clive, can yes. I just add to Brooke's comment there, if I may? Um, because the work that we started to do and started to present really to corporate real estate, to consultants and end-to-end -end enterprise is where over the last year, 18 months, we've all been talking about the digital workplace, workplace transformation, smart building. That's all great, that's all relevant and that's all now. But we're now migrating into a vocabulary where we're talking about the elastic digital workplace. And the elastic digital workplace is now born out of the fact that all those roles that people say you could never do working at home has gone out the window. It's now proven that people can work remotely, they can still feel connected and be part of their infrastructure in terms of their main uh, mothership, e.g. their HQ. But what's going to happen is there's going to be this elastic umbilical cord between central HQ and people working remotely. And again, to Brooke's point, is how do you make those people productive, feel connected, valued, 
and the big organizations that are able to provide that holistic wrap in this digital elastic uh, economy are going to retain their best talent. They're going to attract new best talent because that's going to allow people to work in a methodology and a process that we have not seen until this very point. And much of what we talk about today will be about the, the new normal. Well, the new normal is not three months, six months, 12 months away. The new normal is now because we won't go back to a working environment that will be uh, as it was before. And I even read a report as today about one of the major corporate real estate companies that are going to be talking about and presenting in the next few weeks. And we're going to be part of that board of discussion to talk about the six foot office, e.g. everybody being in social distancing uh, environments and now working in a social distance environment for the foreseeable future. So there's a lot of value that everyone of, a, of my colleagues and friends and, and contemporaries on this call will all contribute in terms of that methodology and that process. So that's interesting. At least it was, it was a question I was going to ask later down the line. We've had a couple of questions in from our from our audience here about is this is this an element that we're going to have to use now? Think about redefining what AV is and where the dividing line is between the work and the home. I mean, is that going to redefine how the industry? operates and thinks about what it's supplying i'll let someone else take that question because I'll have oh, it's a, a complicated question isn't it um you know it's, the it's a bit of a the question clive is yes uh, it's unequivocal the answer is yes and that yes is really based on the fact is we cannot and will not go back to the traditional way of working that and it will be persona profiled uh, certain departments whether they're hr whether they're operations whether they're services have proven that they can coexist in different environments and work, but it will be the sort of services you provide will be based on the uh, job role and the functionality of those individual departments. And I'm sure Jeremy in the shape of uh, L3 will will equally have similar views, I guess, from, from the way you're providing those as well. Jeremy? I, I would absolutely agree with that. I was just thinking through as you were talking there, Daniel, <clears throat> we, so, so coming back to the note that AV is now part of business continuity conversations. It's also a part of, do I really need to have that office space dedicated to a worker that can do their job from home? You know, to Brock's point, bringing in collaboration tools that allow us and, and the comment. So directly addressing the comment that was put into the, the chat window, I think you have the right of it in that what's happened is we've been forced and all of us AV professionals, we've been using this type of technology for a long time. I can tell you that I've used it in different ways over the last two months than I've ever used it in the last 15, 20 years of my career, right? And there's been yeah. a lot more beer involved with video. I will certainly say that that's been going on. Um, but to your point, I think that a lot of workers that maybe didn't think that they would ever need to leverage that type of technology to do their everyday job were immediately forced into a situation where that was their new norm. In order for them to continue to get a paycheck, they have to be able to perform the work. And the, the business behind that is highly motivated to create an ecosystem that allows them to do that. And because AV is such a critical part of the communications aspect of that ecosystem, I, I absolutely believe it will never be what it was before. And there will be a reprioritization of how organizations want to spend their money and invest in technology with a whole new lens to be looking through. 
one thing I would say, and there's a bit of elephant in the room, is whether that 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 technology that we're supplying out into a very different workplace is at an enterprise level reliability and robustness that works in the same way at home as we expect it to work in the office. Uh, so one expects that technology will have a step, make a step up, isn't it, to produce that? I mean, we've all been working with technology that, quite frankly, some of it delivers, some of it doesn't, because it's never been tested to quite this degree in the way it has over the last month or so. Some of it's been wanting. The fact is there, and it's in its basic use, it works is is an advantage, but it's going to have to step up to the plate a bit, isn't it? If we're going to if we're going to really take this enterprise level seriously in the home or whatever you want to call that workplace. Can I just pick up, Clive, on one of the, the points made by Chris Netto? They broadband is the enabler. Uh, the network is the enabler at the end of the day. That's what we rely on, and that's the weak spot. I mean, many of the audiovisual tools actually have been working for many, many years. Invariably, it comes down to bandwidth when this communication falls apart. We all joke about it, but now, of course, of course it's a vital part of our business. You know, going back to the earlier point, I think many of us, myself included, I've been working off of planes trains, hotel rooms, odd offices for the last few years. In many respects, nothing is different. Welcome to my world. And I think more and more of my colleagues uh, are joining it. But, but again, as an international company, we're used to communicating uh, and working uh, around the world this way. It's just now that more of us are, and there are some weak beginners out there as well. You know, we're, we're getting people joining in that don't know how to use the tools. Um, it, it's it's a funny one. I want to just jump in off of you there, uh, Kevin, because I, I saw Chris's comment as well, and I'm very passionate about that. I still believe that the world's uh, you know network and ISP infrastructure is really the bottleneck. That I'm quite hopeful personally that this is going to shine a, a huge light and and provide some government backing and a different approach at how we are making network resources, quite frankly, available, because it's going to be as essential as electricity for someone to be able to do their job at home is to have stable internet. And we saw it with Clive when we first joined this panel. Um, there's still a huge opportunity out there to get faster broadband to enable more of this collaboration that is the new norm. And and to your point, Chris, it's, it's, it's going to continue to be the bottleneck until that infrastructure gets upgraded. And as we all know in, in AV, we often are the ones that get judged for a bad experience when in fact it's it's more of a network connection to someone's home. So I personally am hopeful that, that in my lifetime I will see much faster speeds to everyone's home because it'll just create a better experience and allow for that business continuity um, enterprise strength, right? So. Ironically, it's difficult to know who's going to be in charge of that, though, isn't it? Is that going to be a government uh, initiative thing to make sure each country has a broadband strategy that moves quickly enough? Well, I, think so it's already, I think it's already happening, Clive. Um, you know, the, the, the question you ask is, is the AV industry, is the, te is the technology, uh, are the products, are the services there unquestionably unquestionably enterprise quality uh, video. We're not talking about a free download that you just simply uh, click on. I'm talking about serviced, managed um, capabilities for audio video, for people to collaborate. And there's, as we've rightly said, I don't know about everybody else, I probably have eight, 10, 12, often more video calls per day. That capability to be able to connect not only with your customers, 
your co-workers and feel connected, I think is essential. Technology is absolutely there, but to the point that's already been eloquently made, uh, I think government really does have to step up and I think it will be uh, a top three learning from all of this um, in terms of investment. Um, and I think it's essential for everybody in terms of uh, um, what we're talking about today moving forward. I was going to, I was going to pick up on the, um, on the business again of being, being the slight elephant in the room in a slightly different area. You know, a lot of the, the work that we do is, is, is uh, in, in fixed attractions where we have extensive networks, we use networks to get the things built, we fly media around the world to get it into the show, but once the show's done, it's invariably locked down. So in fact, what we do is we lock our networks down, we lock our PCs down, we lock all the systems, and the only avenue we have back in again is for media updates and for um, diagnosis. So, I mean, a lot of my colleagues here are working within the commercial um, audiovisual market where communication from office to office is, is key, whereas in our business, once we've done it, to a certain extent, it's a lockdown system that we don't really care anymore. Um, so, you know, uh, the effect of this on us is very, very, very different from you guys. Do you know, to, to, to take on from that, uh, Kevin, is the, is the comment and the question uh, raised by James King, um, really interesting question, which was, <coughs> excuse me, uh, confusing is the folks that want to keep AV apart from IT. Well, we've all had that challenge over the last few years when does id when does av migrate migrate into it and when do two become one um as of now uh, and that's not going to be departments saying protecting audio versus what they protect from the network you'll see things that exasperate um, uh, sorry extend that and they're going to be things like microsoft teams uh, then it'll be clearly what Cisco have as a play, but it's going to come from sea level um, and that's going to be where the sponsorship is. So those battering of heads between AV and IT, I think are going to be a thing of the past very, very soon because it's all going to be about business continuity and service uh, and those individuals that can't play in that space won't be in that space. Well, to a certain extent, audiovisual is a delivery medium. So, you know, again, if, if we take... If we take your commercial space, that system has to work. And if it works flawlessly, you don't notice it. You go to a theme park, you see a show, the screen looks brilliant, the audio sounds brilliant, the lighting works every time, show after show, day after day. You don't notice it. So the vast majority of the customers I've dealt with don't actually notice what I do. You have to explain it. And that should be the same in the commercial market. And I have worked in the commercial market in the past with a big um, systems integrator. And actually, I'm still slightly surprised to hear that the, the battle between IT and AV is still raging on, because I thought we put that to bed about 20 years ago. <laughs> but then I haven't dealt with banks and so forth for 20 years either. So. <laughs> well, I think you know, I come with a different hat on. I used to be an IT journalist for 25 years and in broadcast before coming to AV. So I see it from all sides and I, I've never seen a difference in any of them but uh, you know I think they're they're complementary services that work together provided they're in the same environment and, and can seamless I mean provided the skills and the ability and the processes can be integrated well and everything else and of course you know what people are saying here listening to us today is of course the two major bugbears that are going to be hitting the foremost of all this are access and security um, well, there's, there's which another, everybody even in IT tend to ignore for the sake of it there's another element to that, Clive, and that is 
Whereas a lot of companies now uh, in the top end enterprise uh, space globally have all been for the last year or so been talking about wellness in the workplace, mental health, uh, good, good diet, exercise, all within a great working environment. That's going to extend to the home. You know, even as of this week, I've actually had a questionnaire. Uh, I've worked at home for more years than I care to remember. But this week I got a questionnaire to talk about uh, how I sit, what screens I have, what downtime I have, a reminder about my discipline to move away from my desk. Uh, do I, does my chair swivel? Does my screen swivel? There will be a duty of care, not just wellness in the physical workspace where people go two or three days a week, but extending into the home. So that is going to be another element of all of this, how you provide um, you know, those services and facilities back to the original point about how you attract and retain talent, about how people work physically in a building and with that social distancing. And in addition to that social distancing, again, what everyone will hear on this, um, we've been having lots of conversations with real estate uh, as well as enterprise over the last week or so about how you're going to check every single person going into a building with thermo imaging, uh, about providing that as a duty of care, how through smart buildings you can detect where everybody is about the consumption and utilization, and then how you can demonstrate and prove that people are social distancing uh, through, your, through your network and through their mobile devices. So there is a huge conversation that's going on way beyond this, this session that we're having today, not just in the AV world and how you encompass everybody in a big, brave, new, elastic digital environment, but how you bring into the workplace that true, genuine wellness in the workplace, because social distancing is not going to disappear come May, June, July time. That yep. is going to extend way beyond the, uh, um, the time frame <coughs> and the calendar that we're suggesting right now. One thing and I was going to ask, sorry, Brock, yeah, go on. Uh, I just wanted to say that an AV manufacturer, uh, Aurora Multimedia, introduced a thermal imaging panel just this morning. Um, and uh, it is designed to take people's temperatures as they enter uh, retail stores, as they enter office buildings uh, and facilities. Um, interesting to me that this came from the audiovisual industry and, uh, and and is actually tablet based you know it's a form factor uh, that we already work with and understand every day um, this could uh, as Danny said be very very much part of what people are expecting from our trade uh, going forward it it also gives us an opportunity to grab this as something that we can become experts in before another trade grabs it. Um, well, it, because, because as, as much as uh, uh, unified communications and, and working from home is all very exciting, we need to be making a living as an audiovisual industry going forward. And our trade has been place-based. We sell stuff that goes into buildings, that goes into stores and restaurants and museums and exhibits. And if people aren't in those places anymore, yeah. we have to be selling stuff or services in another way or completely restructure our businesses. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, yes, our, everybody's pipelines are full now and everybody is working to the, the greatest extent, but 
the economy is going to be very different going forward. And, and there isn't going to be a lot of extra money sitting on the table uh, for corporations or institutions or governments uh, to be able to do things with. So um, we need to identify as an industry where, in fact, we can access the money that's left and where we are the most vital uh, in the uh, in the 12 to 24 to 36 months it's going to take the world to recover uh, from the economic hit it's already taken. Uh, just on that point, Brooke, um, Brock, uh, beg your pardon, um, we're actually installing uh, thermal imaging cameras uh, that are connected to the IT platform, back to the original question some while ago. We're already installing those in hospitals, um, right. doctor surgeries, and and... Maybe a year ago, we weren't installing any. We're installing tens of hundreds already now. So the reaction about where money comes from, I think there will be different budgets that come as a consequence of that. And where those budgets were um, you know, safely guarded, I think that people, back to the point about wellness in the workplace, about how, and to, to Kevin's industry or uh, uh, market uh, area in terms of stadia, uh, attractions, corporate, uh, those sort of things, I think they will become standard place every time you walk through a turnstile at a, uh, a soccer stadium or through a museum or through a uh, Disneyland, you're going to be automatically checked um, you know, for numerous things and, and certainly thermo imaging about people's temperature will be commonplace. And we see it in all walks of life from, from shopping malls all the way through to, uh, through to Disneyland. That's an interesting point. I must admit the problem we have though, is, um, that people won't be going to the museums and the theme parks in quite the same numbers. <laughs> and I think unfortunately to be slightly pessimistic, if we take the museum and cultural sector, it's going to be decimated. Totally. I mean, it's not going to exist in the same way. It, it, it can't because it was already short of money. If you look at a lot of the large museums in Europe, they haven't been building new exhibitions for many, many years. In the States, they manage, and that came through corporate and philanthropy. You know, mostly people, you know, that wanted to name a building or an exhibit after themselves. But the funding in cultural institutions was drying up anyway. And I think there's no doubt that a lot of people will stay away from museums, science centres, and which does give us some interesting opportunities. And I, yeah, I'm interested by your view on that. <laughs> well, I was just wondering, really, I know it's not, I'm not, you know, but how the residential AV community is going to be responding to this, whether they're going to start changing the way they think about the home workplace and how it sees it, and where the, the overlap from work into the home environment, creating a more enterprise level workspace in the home is going to overlap. Do you see a problem there, potentially? If I'm a residential contractor, I want to be in the networking business. Um, and, I want to, and I want to be selling headsets. Lots and lots of headsets. Lots of headsets. Um, but uh, uh, people having uh, crap networks at home, Clive, um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, there's, a, a, there's a huge opportunity there, including for managed services um, at the home. And, uh, and there's some great players already in that business. Uh, Access Networks is one uh, that uh, works here in, in North America. Yeah, and I, I know today is not really an, uh, uh, an advertorial uh, for everybody's uh, company here, but in terms of those managed services, and I'm glad you brought that up, Brock, is the fact that the ability to provide 
365 global managed services really plays to the strength, dare I say, of an organization like mine, maybe ISPL, in that ability to be able to not only monitor and manage every single thing that's on the network, but then provide a break, fix, maintenance and support contract for all of those as well. So what's that really do? That allows people not to worry how they're going to use the collaboration tools, not to worry what format uh, they're going to join from. The ability to bring all those together in a in a concise, simple, easy to use way. And what's also interesting to Kevin's point is as much as people will not be going back to maybe museums and public places quite as readily as we thought they would be, there's also the fact that people aren't going to be wanting to touch uh, things on the subway, but they're not going to really touch control panels and um, and video conferencing panels in rooms. That may seem a little bit uh, draconian and may seem a little bit uh, over the top, but our early research is that people want, don't want to touch anything. Um, therefore, there's going to have to be a system uh, that allows people to walk into a room at one minute to nine, sit down, and everything fires up without them touching it. So whether that's concierge services, voice activated, and those facilities and services, that is uh, an experience. And we're talking here, everything we're discussing today is part of the experience economy. And that experience economy is invariably driven by consumer driving enterprise. We have better experiences in our own lives of what we do from the experience economy. From the moment we order a Domino's pizza to the moment we order a, uh, an Uber, the way that we transact with Amazon, the list goes on and on. They're the experiences in the experiences con the experience economy that people are going to want to see from their enterprise, uh, their employers within that space as well. So they're going to be a transition of those services into that space. And we're going to see a lot of that in terms of that, again, back to that thing about the elastic digital workplace. And I think managed services is going to be at the absolute core of everything moving forward. So those people that thought, well, I'm not sure we need an holistic managed service that is a single pane of glass wherever I am in the world. Well, just let's all just stop a minute and breathe because that is going to be a fundamental part of business going forward. Yeah, I agree. Is the existing AV industry infrastructure going to be able to cope with that conf um, adequately, or are we going to see combinations of companies working together or even merged to be able to handle these new opportunities? It's going to be inevitable, isn't it? I mean, uh, it, I mean, if you actually look at the businesses and the number of AV companies, audiovisual companies there there are, um, there's going to be a lot of casualties, and there has to be a lot of change over over the next few weeks and months. It's got to be inevitable. I'd be interested to see if some of the big boys will be catching up and snatching some of the smaller players. I think, again, it really depends where you are. Um, in our sector, it's a specialist sector. So there isn't really the room for that many big boys. And actually, in our business, we are one of the bigger players. There's only a few. Um, uh, yeah, if, you, if you go to the uh, communications, the commercial side of the marketplace, I think now is the time and now you have a potential boom over the six to 12 months. I, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for you now. I don't know. I mean, just to see what you think. Uh, only two weeks ago, actually, to that point, Kevin, ABISPL, which is the leader in the AV space, has merged with uh, Whitlock. I noticed. Uh, yeah. Which is a notable uh, activity within the audiovisual space. And I think you'll see more consolidation. It's inevitable. Um, 
I see, I think you'll also see more partnerships. You'll see more people working together. You know, we have Jeremy on from, from L3 uh, and you'll see, I think what you've seen from Verizon and Blue Jeans today, although a little left field, it's just going to be the start of uh, people, manufacturers, as well as um, uh, suppliers actually wanting to provide more services to their customers. But the AV industry just does not go away. This is a central part. And I think to the point, again, from earlier, managed services are going to be a fundamental part of that. And it's interesting because James King has also asked uh, another question really about, um, besides voice, do you see the move towards users wanting to use their own device? That's, in my view, already happening. Uh, I think we've seen four or five years ago when everyone talked about BYOD, I think that's inevitable now. People are. I'm sitting at home today and I haven't got one piece of company equipment in my office. I have an iMac. I have a MacBook Pro. I have a separate screen. I have a Logitech camera. And everything here is my, I have my own iPhone. Everything here is an example. I'm not that I want to be a contrarian or, or not comply with company register, uh, um, um, requirements. It's the fact those tools are familiar as me as an example, but I think you're going to find more and more people wanting to. So security, which we haven't touched on today, yes. is going to be a key element. And maybe Brock, you can pick the mantle up on that because I think that that's going to be a fundamental part of everything we do. Um, and it's been all over the press the last week, 10 days, when we've had you know a lot of mudslinging between um, you know between uh, Zoom, Zoom. And, and various others which I think is a little unfair, but it has It is. I think Zoom have done a very good job, personally, in the short space of time. Um, yeah, it is. But, you know, it, the, the questions had to be asked, I suppose. But, yeah, I think it had been unfair. Yeah, That's Clay, a phenomenal performance in that company, really. Uh, just asked a question about what happened with Verizon and BlueJeans. If you haven't seen it, uh, Clay, um, there's been an announcement from Verizon today that they have purchased a BlueJeans and taken over BlueJeans. So um, I think that's going to be quite an aggressive play from a carrier with a, uh, a video service that they're going to wrap up together and provide that as an holistic service to their customers. And that's a reaction, I guess, to, you know, what's going on with Pexip and what's going on with BlueJeans. Uh, sorry, what's going on with uh, Zoom, as Clive has rightly identified. I, I read an interesting post this morning uh, from an industry friend, Josh Schrago. Uh, who lives out on the West Coast and is is uh, very interested in um, in internet management laws. Uh, and one of the first things that he posted was that your BlueJeans experience on Verizon will be fantastic, but that they will be throttling Zoom and other providers uh, in in order to promote their own. So whether that is true or not. Um, uh, you know that's a uh, that's a potential uh, a potential outcome for sure. Wow, well, we've got a couple of minutes left, haven't we? Um, let's look in the crystal ball and see what the next few months holds for us. Um, how do you think things are going to pan out over the next two or three months? It's just holding holding a steady state for the minute until we we get a better idea. Probably in the last quarter, what companies are doing. It depends how much cash you have. Cash is king at the moment in any yeah. business. If you if you have cash. And if you're in a long-term business, which I have to say, luckily, we are, or a lot of our contracts, are, uh, a long-term period, two to three years is quite common uh, for our installations. And if you have cash in the bank, you'll survive. If you were living month to month, I feel really bad for a lot of the business. Hmm. 
well, they reckon the hedge fund is going to pick up 500 million. They're going to make 500 million by, you know, picking up companies that are in a d- difficult state. So they're going to be mopping up, which is a, a rather sad consequence of what happens in, in these sort of situations. But well, I, you know, I think I think companies, Clive, need to make some very very difficult decisions over the next two to three months. Uh, we've been through a month or more of the lockdowns. Um, uh, people have been furloughing staff as uh, as best they can. Some have had to be laid off, but uh, but the business itself needs to survive. Um, Jeremy, I think uh, for your employees, probably their healthcare benefits are the most important. Uh, uh, element. Um, do you cut those benefits off uh, or do you put people on on supported wage programs in order to keep them? Um, it, we don't know at this point whether we're one month, two months, three months away from returning to revenue. What we already know is that most businesses are only going to see 75%, 65% of what their revenue expectations were for 2020 uh, calendar. Um, and so the expenses can't continue. Um, and, and this isn't just small companies, this is big companies. Uh, you know, uh, Danny's firm, the largest in the industry, um, is owned by a hedge fund. That hedge fund has investors and uh, they're expecting a return and, and their pockets are not unlimited either. Everybody is going to have to make some really tough decisions about who stays, who goes, and how do we do this, while at the same time being ready to turn the tap on again as soon as we're allowed to, uh, because the pent-up demand will be fantastic. So, Brock, I'd like to vibe on what you said there. I know we're running out of time here, but I had someone say to me recently, and it resonated with me, I feel like I'm overreacting and underreacting simultaneously as a business owner, right? There's there's no amount of overreaction and no amount of underreaction. And, and so I'll, I'll say that Daniel has mentioned uh, the elastic digital environment. I really like that word elastic because for me, it just talks about the, the stretchiness of the current situation. And I would say, Clive, if you would have asked me a month ago, I would have had a slightly different answer than I do today. And my answer today is predicated on the fact that we still don't have, uh, you know, our crystal ball is still cloudy. We're still waiting for those clouds to clear to be able to see what the long term of this. And I've got some clients that have moved projects all the way out till next year because they also don't know what the environment's going to look like and they don't know where they want to spend their money. I've also had other say, hey, we're still going to do all these projects. Let's get going on the design. Let's get going on the fabrication. It's, it's causing us to have new conversations with our clients and discuss new ways of engagement to take advantage of the time that is available to us now. But that's still not a strong pillar for me to stand on because it's very variable between clients. Some clients are taking a very Uh, a very conservative approach and really just waiting uh, until it's clear as to what the future holds in the short term before they make buying decisions. And others are are still buying, but buying differently, as everyone has stated on this call. So it's a tough thing right now because we still don't have that clear view of, of when everything's going to turn back on. I would add, I would add to that just one final thought, and that is, uh, from from everybody's contribution, everybody's company on here, we're all going to have a significant role to play. I think the consultants have a role to play, but us guiding these organisations, 
because there is a great danger of if you do nothing, you will procrastinate and you will go backwards. Making the wrong decision is as bad as not making any decision at all. So I think we all have a significant duty of care to all our customers to provide them with the data, the right knowledge, and more importantly, to, to, that, to that phrase about the elastic digital experience of how we all collectively uh, take them on that journey. And this isn't months and months and months away. This is, these conversations are taking place now, ironically. So back to the very original question, I know Tim wants to close this out in just a second, but back to the original front end of this meeting, uh, you know, almost an hour ago, what's happening? Well, what's happening is people are considering what is the lessons learned from our industry right now, how they're going to abide and how they're going to provide those services to their employees, uh, their customers uh, and their suppliers and they need our collective help. I actually think the AV industry will be in rude health. It will be strong uh, post everything. And to the point that, that Brock made, I think a balance sheet is gonna be one of the key, key elements to this because Kevin's point, if you run out of cash, you gotta close the doors. And that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed your first Making Waves experience. Join us next time for more audio visual tech talk.